Hello and welcome back to another episode of Art Generation On Air. My name is Alex Spinnamore and this week it's a full house of... I don't know if I should say the second word here, but Mikey, you got we we got described as something very interesting on your pod, on your Twitter feed this week. <laughs> Podcast <laughs> something, um, you know, this is a family show. We can't we can't bring that word up, but I think you know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, it's a full house. As I'm joined by Dan Lambert, Ben Summer, and Micah Chudley. Uh, so, guys, the uh, nostalgia didn't help QPR win and get over the line against Blackburn. And in the process, we potentially lost our best player to injury, which led to some rather enlightening football. Uh, after also, you know, we our financial report, I guess you could call it, was uh, released this week, and plenty of Twitter experts uh, and one actual expert gave the their opinions on that. So you know, we will also offer up some opinions no one actually wanted. And then after all that, we all have the small matter of another very crucial game against us, uh, against a team that is near us in the table, right down the bottom. So, um, you know, welcome to the podcast. Everyone feeling good? It's been a feeling good week in QPR land, hasn't it? Great. It's going great. Well, it's been wonderful, isn't it? What a week. Um, How are you, Dan? Good, thanks. Good? Well, I'm, I'm good, like, good personally, not good with QPR. Okay. Good. Um, now, we've mentioned on, on this podcast a few times about the timing of when QPR do stuff. You know, sometimes we get very lucky and say a manager decides to stay and we've not done a podcast yet and we kind of record one the next day or we appoint a manager and we haven't recorded one yet. So we've got very, you know, it all fits in perfectly and it makes us look a lot better than we are at planning things because it's all just complete luck. Um, talking about timing, QPR just released a video. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. Um, you might be surprised to see a half-naked New Zealand man appear. Um, it's not Ryan Nelson. It's not that. Ryan Nelson. I'm disappointed by that. Um, <laughs> but this was... Um, I mean, we talk about Gareth Ainsworth having character. This is certainly an interesting idea to try and get a bit of team bonding sort of going. I mean, usually team bonding sort of like go play paintball or something, but I guess that, you know, isn't really possible for a football team. But th- this is... Not, not with the hamstrings in this squad. <laughs> well, That's... you know, the hacker's pretty physical. The... I'm surprised yeah. I heard Clark sort of doing it. He could have... He could have pulled up. Um, he was at the back, though. To be fair, it was it was slow movements from uh, Clark Salter. So go on then. Offer up some opinions on what what you witnessed in this video. Do you think it's a good idea? Is this all just nonsense? What What do you think? I I kind of like it. I, it's it's hard to say at this point, but I think you look at Ainsworth as a manager and go, oh, he gets squads really motivated, and you know gets a good vibe going around the place. I guess it doesn't happen by magic. Like I didn't really stop and think about what what those methods are. Um, and as well as like good man management on a day to day level, this sort of stuff's going to be happening. Um, you know, I, I I don't have massively strong feelings about it. I don't think we're going to magically win five nil on the weekend because of it. But I also don't see 
any reason to um, put it down. I mean, the players look pretty pretty surprised. It is a really great video. If you, I mean, Kenneth Powell's face especially, and I'm not <laughs> I'm not making any comment on how invested he was or wasn't because I'm I think it's just it's just the emotion showing through in his face. But he's sort of in shock. Um, it's unfortunate for him, isn't he? Because you know, he's obviously like he sat on the in a particular seat and. It's unfortunate that the camera is right next to him and there's no other yeah. person that's obscuring him because actually, unsurprisingly, because I think this is exactly what you'd expect from his personality. But when the guy first walks in saying all his sort of like Maui stuff, Chair has got his head. He's definitely <laughs> laughing. He's definitely <laughs> laughing. I don't think it's from a bad place. He's just probably shocked at what's happening. <laughs> He's definitely laughing at it. Um, yeah i'm just looking back at the video now like the, the the faces are an absolute picture and it's sort of like it's interesting in terms of like what what you assume the personalities of the squad to be where you look at for instance um jimmy dunn is watching like intently he's like this i'm gonna learn something here like this is, do you know what i mean this is this is uh, this is valuable stuff um looking back at it now aussie kakai like is just enjoying it from the very start albert adoma led like right on led is going of, for it he's going for it when they they get to actually doing it he's really into it like he's really and it's, it's that's exactly as you expect based off what we you know when we just talked to him early in the season that's exactly his personality well um look like i, I mean there, there is something in the fact that when it cuts from them watching the guy walk in to them doing it they are going for it and and i don't think you can make big picture judgments about have, have this squad really got character because of this or whatever but like people like Tim joining in or whatever, it's it's it can't be a bad thing, can it? I mean, no, if, you, if you look at it, just to kind of like go back to what you said, like at the start of the video, like everybody's face was a picture, like it just was. It was funny, like Kenneth Power. I don't think rugby's big in Holland, so I imagine that was probably like the first time he's probably seen the hacker in his life. But like, if you like skip to the end of the video. At the end, all the players, after having done it and having looked like they've enjoyed themselves, they've all gone up to um the guy, I can't remember his name, shook his hand, all said thank you to him. It looks like, you know, there's a little bit of a buzz around the squad. I mean, I'm not, like Ben said, I'm not going to draw any conclusions from it, but I mean, like, it can't hurt, you know? Yeah. It can't hurt. And, it, you know, you're probably right, Ben, like this sort of thing definitely does go on behind the scenes, but you don't often get access to it. So, you know... I guess fair play to the club putting up like a nearly ten minute video explaining why they're doing this sort of thing and giving us a little bit of insight into it. Listen, he said he worked with Gareth before, so he's obviously like you know done, probably pulled this trick at Wickham, and he's a mate, so he's gonna sort of like do it again. But you know, it, it's not a bad thing. Uh, Dan, where does this sort of all you know sit in? With you, do you like you know? You're much more of a sort of resident tactics expert and analysis. Uh, the where whereabouts when you were looking at all our corners, did you have sort of like option number seven? If this doesn't improve, get someone in to do the hacker. Um, well, in terms of the hacker, I don't really mind it. Um, I thought Ainsworth enjoyed it more than the players, to be honest with you. Um, particularly when they were staff versus staff versus players and, and doing whatever they were doing. But um yeah, if it if it works, that's that's it can only help us. But as much as they're doing it there, they've got to do it on the pitch really for me. Yeah. Um let's move on from that. It's a nice bit of fun. Uh, I hope they enjoyed it and you know got something out of it. But uh there as we mentioned in the intro, there is quite a few things to talk about this week. 
Um, so let's start then with the game at the weekend. 3-1 loss to Blackburn. Um, this question is for anyone that wants to field it. Were you at all surprised that basically the same set of 11 players played exactly the same as they did like when the going got tough? Were you at all were you surprised at all by that? I'm I'm gonna actually I'm gonna let everyone somebody else go first because I'm gonna play devil's advocate here. Go on, Dan, you go. Um no. No, but then we didn't have Ilya's chair, did we? Um and he's probably the one that, that tries the most, wants the ball the most. Kind of yeah, basically wants to 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 drive the team forward. So no, I wasn't too surprised. Ben, any thoughts on that before we get a uh, devil's advocate? No, and I don't want to step on um, Mike's toes being devil's advocate, so I'll keep this short in case it's the point he's going to make. But my dad did point out after the game that this might have been a bit of a case of Ainsworth going right. You know, show me why I should keep you in the team. We'll keep we'll keep it the same as it was. You've got to you've got to perform, and I think there were certain players that did, certain players that didn't. Um, I thought we looked a little brighter early on. I think the the collapse, the crumbling, is what worries me. Not um not the the sort of slight green shoots, but I, I got swept up in the excitement by by sixty minutes or so. It kind of felt pretty familiar. Go on then, Micah. Uh, ben stepped on my point, unfortunately. Uh, I'm very sorry. I was. I was <laughs> no, nah, it's all good. I was I was going to say maybe he was just giving that eleven the chance to prove that they wanted it, but you know there we go. I don't know if this is playing devil's advocate to your playing devil's advocate, but has he actually got much room to sort of manoeuvre with realistic players you could step in? Or is this just going to um, be 11 till the end of the season? I mean, I think me personally, I kind of look at the situation and I am worried about relegation. Chair going off was the first time that I was really genuinely kind of concerned. But the news today seems to be that he's, it's not as serious as they thought and he might be back quite quickly. So I look at it and I just kind of think, you know, we'll get to the accounts and stuff later, but I look at the situation and I think, you know, we have to have some idea of how good some of these 23s are, like at some point, even if it is just, even if they all stink, like we all, like we have to at least see because the fact of the matter is, you know, we're going to have to sell in the summer, not to jump ahead. Um, and there's going to be like a whole load of free agents available in the summer again. So it's like, you know, can we save ourselves some wages by being like, oh, I don't know. Um, can't say his name, Aurora. Like, oh, maybe he can step in as a Johansson replacement or field replacement or whatever. So that, that that's kind of where I'm like, and to be fair, to, to his credit, in the hacker video today and on the bench on Saturday, there was quite a few. So maybe maybe he is following that line of thinking, but I am kind of wondering. Like we, we I don't want to jinx it, but we're kind of safe. Someone clip that for the end of the season. We're kind of safe. Why not? You know. Um, you mentioned a few times the injury to chair, so we may as well touch on it right now. When just before he got injured, um, my dad turned around and said. He doesn't stop running, does he? He he will never stop running. But and then he, five seconds later, he was on the floor clutching his hamstring and thinking, "Well, he's gonna <laughs> stop now." Um, it was it was heartbreaking, wasn't it? Because it, it kind of it, obviously he's so crucial to us, but it kind of felt like his energy and um, dare I say it, pressing 
but like yeah, certainly the energy was crucial to us actually sort of pushing forward and pressing the opposition. Dan, you mentioned on Twitter uh, that we the opening sort of twenty minutes or so. I think you said like you were sort of you weren't exactly disappointed with the way that we pressed the opposition. No, I thought yeah, I thought that was that was good. Obviously, we changed from a zonal to a man to man approach, so that was going to take time. But um, I thought like we were jump uh, time on our jumps quite well, um, and we had a few turnovers. I think Tim had one um, where he got a shot off and it just went wide of wide of the goal. So I thought the opening um, minutes were were good from a pressing point of view. But in terms of the chair injury, I don't know really what was more worrying: him coming off injured or Dizelle going on his left wing. Winger. Yeah, that's a weird one. So, um, just actually, let's talk about that as well because I think in the moment you can kind of understand him trying to sort of like, you know, find something quite quickly. I don't know who was sort of fit to come on at that point of warm ups, but let's just look at the bench that we had: uh, Amos Archer, Dazelle. Dixon Bonner, Richards, Gubbins, Adoma. Now, Adoma came on later on in the game, but, you know, there's a lot of players there. You know, Amos, Dizelle, Richards, Dixon Bonner, they they all play down the centre, don't they? Re- mm. Realist, they should be, at least. Um, and we kind of thought we would, we'd seen the last of the centre midfielders playing out on the wing with the departure of Critchley and Sam Field no longer have to play in right wing. But I don't know, like... <clears throat> Dazelle did as Dazelle does sometimes and just sort of drifted out of the game. You can't can can there be much blame considering he's playing out position, or is this sort of just typical of the player, Ben? I think um I think two things can be true. I think under Ainsworth we probably will be quite rigid to to this shape and, and players will need to adapt a little bit. Um but it's also true that in basically any other game before now or towards the rest of the season, there'll be slightly better options to slot in there, I would think, with the injury list. Um, but I don't know. I does it, I keep wanting to give Dazelle a chance and I can see exactly the sort of player that there is in there. But it, it, yeah, he, he, he drifted out of it. I, I thought we'd get to half-time with him and see some sort of change in shape and, um, and that didn't really happen. But it... At the same time, I, I it would be unfair to say that he was like solely to blame for for whatever went down. I think um, it was just a bit of a funny one. Yeah, um, talking of potentially seeing a player within someone and being pos- uh, positively surprised by a player, um, Mike, I uh, see a lot of praise for Aussie Kakai at the weekend. Um, he did, I would say, have a good game. But it's interesting with Kakai because it feels like he's getting close to joining the ranks of sort of like, you know, he tries really hard. So therefore he should be in the team every week in comparison to sort of like other people who don't try. Kind of, you know, where field and done every time we had a loss, it was sort of like, well, they actually tried, you know, because they ran around and bumped their arms a bit. Kakai sort of like entering that sort of bracket in my that's what it feels like to me whereas in the past it used to be sort of like yeah he tries hard but he's rubbish so he shouldn't be anywhere near the team um yeah I mean I thought he was all right on Saturday but I mean like the the bar was relatively low um it's tough with him because I just don't 
I think there's, I've always felt there's a decent player in there. I don't think he's much above really bottom half of the championship or at very best, like a sort of second option in terms of depth. Um, but I'm not really sure going forward is his best bet. That being said, obviously he did really well for the goal. Um, look, I mean, it, it just kind of is what it is with Aussie. Do you know what I mean? It's like we, we've kind of mismanaged the fullback situation for like the best part of six years now. And like, this is kind of what we're left with. I, I, I mean, it's, it's a, it's nice for him when he plays well, it's not when he doesn't, I just don't really have much to say on it. Well, knowing how this goes, it feels like this is like destined in him dropping an absolute clangor against Rotherham. Like, well, uh, you know, that's just how it feels like it's going to go. But I do like no, his kind of his style yeah. with attacking is kind of like he's he is going to try and beat his man, and then he it's it's very sort of like I'm just going to roll the dice on this and see what happens because the cross is very Wambasaka, isn't it? It's yeah, very, it could be um, like a great cross that put. Well, I'm not going to say the one at the weekend was great. Like it was a cross that went sort of into the box and at a height that one of our players could possibly get onto which you know makes it a great cross by comparison to what we do normally but I'm thinking like back earlier in the season when he's put in that low cross for Dykes sort of like you know he'll do that occasionally but then a lot of the time he'll send it out for a goal kick or send it too far over it's just sort of like I'm going to see what happens and you know if it if it makes it it makes it um the first goal probably quite unfortunate would you agree with that it was a bit of a deflection just sort of ends up right on Gallagher's head. Anything that you guys would say we could have done better about that? Silence says no. no Brilliant. Let's move on to the second goal. That's fine. Uh, what about our goal? Because sorry, I, yeah, was, no, I, I was I mean, quite interested. Our goal. In our goal. <laughs> what, what did what did people think about um, Tim? Because Tim looked like to me he was playing a bit further forward and I quite enjoyed that personally um yeah I I I quite like that I mean I again it was that was one of the many aspects of our game that seemed to very slightly disappear um as, as the game went on and Tim's shooting is is one of the things that frustrates um me about him that very often he'll he'll sort of do a nice little shimmy to open up a bit of space and then I kind of frequently see him dragging a low shot a bit slow and a bit wide. Like that's the image that I've got in my head of, of sort of what his shooting is like. I suppose this one is such a cliche, such a cliche, but he didn't have time to think about it. Didn't have time to overthink it maybe. But yeah, I like I like seeing him in those positions. That makes sense as, as somewhere to put him. Um, yeah, I, I, I was quite impressed and I thought that was from what I remember and it is a bit kind of, it's all blurred together a little bit now, but that did seem to be part of a, a period where we didn't let our heads drop after the first goal. Um, yeah. b- before we then did. I quite like the fact that we kept the people forward as well. Like, it kind of, I don't know whether that's not been happening or not, but it feels like we don't have too many players in the box too often. That's something that, where the, <clears throat> I feel like the midfield has has kind of failed and you kind of, you don't get, I guess, sort of like the winger on the other side, perhaps sort of like coming in the back post or whatever, because we don't have that. But, we never, we I only ever have one player said, in the box, but this is from a corner, so like I can understand why everyone's forward. But we keep them all up there, and I, I just quite like that. 
Um, yeah, I think he, he said pre-game that he's he's really big on getting. He said he wanted to get more players in the box with us. He said he was. I think it was pre-game or post-game. He said it. So um, that's absolutely crucial, that. though. Like it has to be, because you can't just sort of you can't carry on lumping it into Chris Martin or Dykes or whoever's playing up front, and they're just by themselves. It's so easy mm. for people to mark that, and occasionally you might score, but it's not that sort of you know sustainable, I guess. Um, Dan, uh, big thing with this team, as Ben has briefly mentioned, there is, you know, heads dropping, and you could be forgiven after that goal that we scored for thinking that, you know, this time it's going to be different. We've got a little bit of a new manager bounce. He's clearly got got through to them already. There's, you know, something is sprouting there. They the heads might not drop this time. But this is QPR, and we don't do that. We 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 the, the heads drop straight. <laughs> so let's look at that second goal. What you know from a from a Blackburn point of view, a very good goal. From our point of view, not so much. Yeah, I I don't remember the build up to it. All I remember vividly is the the pass from Travis. I mean, very good pass, firstly. Um, but in ter- in terms of the heads dropping, I thought the worst bit was when probably about 60 minutes in the second half where we completely dropped our press off. Um, let the two centre-backs just piss about the ball, basically. Um, and we just didn't really look like we wanted to, um, to yeah, to go for it. So that was my my issue in terms of the heads dropping. But I think from Blackburn's perspective, it was a good goal. I think Ainsworth said post-match that maybe we could have done better. I'd have to watch it back again to see what we could do better. But uh, you can't really... Um, fought the pass from from Travis to Schmodex. Yeah, the the other thing that I saw uh, someone suggest is that the gaps between Dickie and Dunn was too big, but I don't know if there's much you can sort of... I mean, I, I don't really buy into that not so much because that's not, you know, you don't have to be right next to each other in that situation because the threat's coming from the, you know, our right. So it's, I think it's only natural for Dickie to come across. And the I fact that also... they kept their players at the back post as well, didn't they? Yeah, I think also the fact that we've changed now to man marking system. I don't want to go on it too much, but you're playing one v one across the whole pitch. So if someone's striker's making a run into the channel, Dickie's going to follow them regardless. And there's going to be a massive gap between Dunn and Dickie. The thing, like the clip I put on Twitter, shows how easy it is just to pull a man away just from a bit of movement and, and create a load of space. So that's that's going to happen across across the board with uh, t- our teams under as well. Sorry, I was going to ask Dan out of interest um, from the sort of tactical understanding of, 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 of the stuff that you've got. Do you think the characteristics of our centre-backs are going to be suited longer term to that man-marking system once they've had their chance to adapt and that kind of thing? Um, probably not because they're not the most mobile, but um, you could say that with quite a lot of our team because we like pace generally. Um, but yeah, I guess time will tell really how teams kind of exploit that. The, the only thing I'd say about that goal is that perhaps is, you know, Dunn's playing, I think it's a combination of Dunn and Lowe, but do, Lowe does eventually step up. I can't, you can't actually see who's sort of like beyond Dunn right in the corner. So I don't know if there was someone on that side as well, but it kind of feels like he's playing them on, on side, which gives the opportunity for, uh, what is it? Who scores the goal? Smodix. Sorry? Smodix. 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 Okay. So it gives it a chance for him to get in behind and sort of like appear behind everyone because 
if you look along the line, Dunn's the one playing him on side. So if you were to have a criticism, maybe it's too, maybe, I don't know, is it, you know, am I looking too deeply into it? Is it a bit of a hypercriticism? Should Dunn be stepping up, playing them offside, not giving them the opportunity to run into that space? Is that a question to me? You or anyone uh, else? I, 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 I'd have to watch the goal back, so I, I can't really comment on that bit specifically. Micah, have you watched it back? Um, I have watched it back. Um, I've got to be honest with you. I'm not quite sure what your question is. Okay, this is this is. Uh, I'm not going to say it's rapidly going downhill. This is more sort of like slowly going downhill. Now, what I'm just saying is like Dunn's kind of play plays him on side basically, and that the, uh, there is a bit of complaining about the gap between Dunn and Dickey being quite big, which Dan explained already. You know, man marking, you're going to pull them apart, create space, whatever. But Smodix is able to get around the back of everyone into a sort of, I wouldn't say the most natural position to be in because he's get allowed to be played on side. Should Dickie be stepping up and being in line with Dickie? Done, being in line with Dickie, yeah. I mean, I'll be, I'll be honest with you, I don't know. If he's man marking, I suppose, no. But if he's holding, no, he's the he's the he's the spare man. He's the deep. Yeah. He's the spare man. <clears throat> Powell's also Powell's also quite deep as well. So I was going to say, by the look of it, it looks like I, I don't know if I call it a mix up between Dunn and Powell, but but sort of Dunn is is there in the space ready for the man to run into, and then Powell follows him in there, leaving the other man spare on the edge of the box, and and that's just reacting to what's happening, right? But I mm. I I don't think that like massively looks like a team that one hundred percent knows yet what they need to do. Yeah, in yeah. a situation like that, I don't think that's the worst thing you can accuse them of after a couple of training sessions with Ainsworth. But I think it's fair to say. I assume you you went and looked at the goal just then, Ben? Did you? It's uh, it's on my phone right now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah thank you for someone for <laughs> looking up that goal whilst I was floundering <laughs> with that question. I was I was begging when when Micah said he didn't know what the question was. Not only had I somehow zoned out and didn't know what the question was, but I also could not remember the goal, even though I was at the game and watched it just before starting this call. I'm just not having the the best day of it, but I I I, I stepped up when it was needed, frankly. Thank you very much, Ben. Uh, now the third goal. Uh, talking about heads dropping, Dan. This is, um, you know, re- realistically that that second goal just before half time, I felt kind of like killed us off. And there was a little bit of something in the second half pre sixty minutes, but that second goal really did win the game for Blackburn. One, you know, I think from that point onwards, I felt the crowd kind of got a little very sour. Uh, and I will touch on that very shortly. Which I wasn't entirely happy with that, but the third goal. If you're talking about defending, the ranking Costello gets out of a situation that he shouldn't really get out of, basically, doesn't he? Like, we can yeah. all agree on that one. It was a lovely scoop down, though. Um, to be honest, I actually I actually liked it, like, the goal from their perspective. I thought, if you watch it back, Dolan brings Kakai out that post, and then Gallagher makes a double movement off Dickey, and uh, just completely dismarks him. So I thought from that point of view, it was a good goal from Blackburn. But that that would be great to... on a Blackburn podcast. Yeah, of course. But you got to you, you, you before that, you've got to obviously uh, start ranking Costello, getting out. But no, I thought it was a good goal. Yeah. Um. But from our point of view, disappointing nonetheless. Uh, that the nostalgia of Gareth Ainsworth didn't sort of carry us through to at least. I don't know if we fought fought hard and got a point against Blackburn. 
that would have been considered a very good result, you know. But it's clear that they're quite a bit above us, you know, quality-wise. Um, we kind of say that they're sort of a side that sort of seems to be on the same sort of arch and storyline as QPR, but they seem to be diverging from that now and sort of quietly making their way towards the playoffs, basically. I mean, they won... And they win in the FA Cup last night. Beat Leicester. Yeah, yeah beat Leicester it's one, well, one of those, so. isn't it, that, that slightly reframes. I mean, I'm not saying like it changes anything about how we played or what result we should have got or whatever. When a team beats you at home and then goes and beats Leicester at home, you do sort of think, okay, they might actually be good, which is annoying. But they've got a cat one academy as well. Don't forget. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the one thing I was going to mention about the crowd around me, uh, I know this is something that annoyed my dad as well. There's a lot of people that were very quickly I would say abusive towards players like it was really disappointing not kind of like you can have a moan in a whinge because you know we all pay our money to go there and you know I guess you can sort of behave within reason how you want towards the players but well I thought yeah. that well no yeah. like it, you can have a bit, bit of a whinge sort of like you know if you're if, amongst you, if it's coming from a good position but like you can't just Point is, you can't just sit there calling them shits, basically, which is what a lot of people around me were doing, like very quickly, and it was incredibly tiring. And it, you sort of think, well, you know, we may love QPR, but that you're not going to make them want to sort of fight for QPR or the badge or whatever any much more than they are at the moment by just abusing them throughout the whole game. No, I mean, I'll, I'll never back anyone abusing players directly. I, I'm quite happy with that. I think I think the attitude from the players in the second half at certain points was can be held in total contempt. I still don't think that justifies literally yelling personal abuse. It's a it's a fine line. It's a difficult line. Um, but the fact, I mean, they got booed off at the end, didn't they? And um, and it's a difficult one because they do absolutely need a wake up call, but that wake up call is far more likely to come from Gareth Ainsworth than from from people yelling at him in the crowd. And I think you've got to give them a bit of time to receive that that wake up call before assuming this is just like a continuation of everything under Critchley and the latter end of Beale and whatever. Uh, you know, at the same time, I get I get why it's frustrating. I get that it did feel a lot like more of the same by the end of it. Um, I'm probably not the guy to ask because I get quite annoyed at people in crowds quite routinely. Guy near me was leaning over the, um, uh, whatever you call it, basically leaning over toward the pitch and yelling, get Martin off, he's too slow, after a move where Martin literally just hadn't realised the ball was going to be passed to him and didn't move because he hadn't realised. It's like, no, that's not him being slow. That's him just not clocking. So Anyway, uh, you know, I think, I, I think that's sort of a general overview of how I feel about that. Yeah, it was just really frustrating because, you know, it's meant to be sort of like... A bit of a new dawn, isn't it? Sort of like we're going to sort of go again under Ainsworth. He's using his man management on everything. I think Dan, you said in our group chat pre pre game with that message that he recorded and was put on the Twitter. He's using the man management now on on the fans as well, and it kind of you know feels like that a little bit. We need it, and we need it, but it wasn't you know people that were just abusing them weren't good enough. Basically, you know you can't expect anyone to respond to that sort of behavior. It's just, it's not right. Like, and you may as well, you know, dare I say it, but you may as well just not turn up. If you're just going to sit there and call the Zell shit or something like that to his face or say, you know, your Hanson's passed it, or, you know, in a, in a much sort of harsher way than the way I just said it, you know, there isn't any point because you're not actually supporting them and you don't, uh, you know, they're not 
that doesn't mean they're um they're free from criticism you know constructive criticism away from <laughs> sort of or it, it, their earshot i guess and like you know not be just generally being horrible for the sake of being horrible you know that was the only point i wanted to make about uh the the atmosphere i guess on saturday right so um if you are a sort of casual listener of this podcast and you think in general that we don't know what we're talking about then you know th this next section we generally don't know what we're talking about and it's going to be you know like a very very honest on that you know this is you know realistically you shouldn't be listening to this for any sort of insightful comments about the finances but you know just before we get going uh did anyone sort of take economics a level or or anything like that i did two weeks ago no. and didn't like it and i haven't done math since gcc okay yeah neither i did i did uh, history politics and english so I'm... Yeah, yeah i listened to the financial times podcast once in 2019 <laughs> well that means you're probably <laughs> this i don't know um so yeah cannot stress enough how much we are ignorant to really how this all happens and stuff but um if you aren't on twitter then you might not be aware but this week qpr released the finances for last year or the last financial yeah. year um so that covers last season basically and um it's it's an intro it, it's it's both interesting and terrifying in equal measures so the big sort of headline the big scary headline which um it's well worth saying that we get got all the information about this from the thread that kieran mcguire did on twitter so you know thank you for providing that service and keeping us sort of noobs in the loop uh but losses of 400 what was it 474,000 was it a week a week yeah, yeah. a week free tax in 21 22 season um wages went up by 10 percent 2.8 million pounds worth of player buys compared to 250k of player sales there's 6 million still owed uh in covid loans 10.2 million still on the financial fair play settlement 68 million pounds on other loans which i assume i guess a lot of that's going to be yeah. to the owners yeah 2.1 million pounds outstanding on player transfer installments so that's basically everyone we bought last year by the looks of it um Richard Riley now owns 12% of the club. I don't know who he is. Does anyone else know who he is? No, they don't. You know He's an American guy, yeah, but that was yeah. the point, was that when he came American in, no one knew guy. who he was. Yeah. Uh, yeah and right. we spent £20 million more than we generated in that in 2021-22. Obviously, it's worth noting as well that they've put a lot of money towards a new uh, training ground, which obviously is going to be a big part of that. But... The, the real big scary one was that first one I mentioned and I guess to a certain extent the second and then that I, I was also sort of not necessarily shocked but I guess a little bit disappointed to still see where it's playing off that FFP settlement but the f losses of £474,000 a week pre-tax that is astronomical and you know 
where we sit right now in the footballing sense at that end of the table you can't surely go into league one with that sort of figure looming over you no and and that that's you know when people talk about i'm not saying that many people around qpr have done it but the idea of relegation might be good for a club i don't think it it really ever is certainly not from the championship into league one it could be an absolute disaster i see no reason why we'd be in a better place to rebuild in league one than in the championship overall the numbers basically confirm what we already know right and, and that's both in terms of the club not naturally being that great at making money for all number of reasons not that not that high sort of gate receipts and and whatever else um but also the problems that we've got that, that as i bang on about time and time again we're a selling club that doesn't sell players you know, we talk about being a selling club um it, it's just a funny one in that you also you look at stuff like 8.5 million on a training ground and I, I don't know how these things are funded but i would assume that's not the last um, financial outlay that we'll be making on that um and i think the owners deserve real and genuine praise for that i, I think there's there's nothing you know I, I i'm not um gonna measure that in any way i think that's a very very good thing um and also you know the the, the wages and the the transfer fees for players that pretty much all of us were clamouring to be signed, or a lot of us were clamouring to be signed, um, and then it didn't work out. And you can be captain hindsight about it, or you can go, actually, do you know what? We've got to just learn a lesson from that. Actually be a selling club. Actually don't sign 30-year-olds. And and I wanted us to sign Charlie Austin on a permanent. I wanted us to sign Stephanie Hansen on a permanent. I, I can't pretend that I didn't. Um, I guess I guess what I'm saying is like, a lot of the blame goes towards the board and the owners, but a lot of that blame is for things that the fans wanted them to do in the first place, and then there's small amounts of praise that they deserve for other stuff. So, I guess just confirming what we've been what we've been going on about for months and months and months, really. Yeah, I couldn't just imagine enough. what the sort Sorry. of like reaction would have been like if we hadn't signed Austin and Janssen. Like, it, I can understand, you know, to a certain extent, Field and Device. You know, Device was probably the worst out of all of them transfer wise because we shelled out on him and he played like what four games before disappearing to Dusseldorf. Um but you know field at least sort of fits the the bracket of what meant to be doing a player that kind of injury prone we turn it around and make him sellable but he's still here and we're you know more to the point we're drifting down to the bottom of the table. Last season might he might have been a sellable asset uh sellable asset but not so much anymore. Um but yeah, Micah, this is, you know, what Ben's described there. I see, you know, your reaction to what he was saying. You definitely agree with it. But, you know, yeah. this is interesting, isn't it? Because you could say that this is the byproduct of the club having ambition. Well, do you know what? It's, it's, <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Because, you know, the, the, the hindsight now is we shouldn't have done. I personally wasn't all that surprised by the accounts. I personally am more worried about next season's accounts for the one just gone because this summer should really have been the one where we sold players um but yeah the 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 whole situation of you know people being like I'll sign the loan players we sign the loan players it doesn't work out and then them being like oh why did you do that it's just rinse and repeat and I'm I'm going to have a little dig at the owners here um contrary to what people believe, I think, about the owners. But the problem we have is the owners do this thing where it's like, oh, here's this situation, but we're not going to do it because it's not right for the club. And the fans are like, no, do it, do it, do it. And then the owners are like, all right, fine, we'll do it. And then it goes wrong. 
And then the club are almost like, see why we didn't do it, hoping that the fans will be like, oh, yeah, I see now, we trust you. That has never and will never happen in football. You will never, ever get a, a group of fans, let alone QPR fans, being honest and saying, oh, yeah, you're right, yeah, we're, we're going to stick with our guns. The club has to be tougher on this kind of... It's been like this. It's been like this since... Well, since Tony Fernandez came in... On, yeah, since our fans were on Twitter tweeting Fernandez, sign Joey Barton, he's available, son. It's been like this. The Stan Bowles stand, it, don't get me wrong, legend of the club and whatnot, there was minimal pressure there. Yeah. And I'm there was, I, I would actually say that was a, that was something that kind of like, you know, if you look at what, what our generation is meant to be, it's meant to be like, you know, we're all young QPR fans given, you know, having a voice or whatever. That Stan Bowles thing felt like, a section of older QPR fans and possibly some a group of people that weren't actually QPR fans, but sort of were just sort of Stan Bowles fans. Yeah, and but it's... and all of a sudden, I think that I said at the time I was incredibly happy that they got people to raise the money for that. It's sort of like I I, I couldn't be bothered with it, well, and my, I know my dad was sort of like sort of could take it or leave it, but you know. Fine, we, it's called the Stamble Bowl Stand now, but the club didn't spend any money on it, sort of actually sourcing it or whatever. That's fine. Can, I don't care about that. Can man, I talk about like pies the... and pints quickly as, as as an example? Sorry, Mike. Um, no, you go, go on. You go but just just a, a quick chat that we had uh, off air um, about this. So the club announced that they've got like a free pie with whatever number of pints and cheaper pints on the weekend, and. I think it's I think it's relatively safe to assume that that's happened as a result of um, of the interview that uh, Lee Hoos did on the Open All Lars podcast. Um, now, the club will have run the numbers on these sort of ideas. Um, either it's a good idea that they actually didn't consider until they had a and A with some fans on a podcast, in which case they really need to start thinking about why they didn't have the idea sooner, or they have run the numbers. It's not a particularly financially great idea, but they've done it because it they look better for doing it because fans have asked them to. Um, and either way, there's not, there's, you know, that's pies and pints and it's, it's al- almost completely immaterial, although there's some importance to it. But I think what Mike is saying there is you can see that happening on like a player transfer level. Yeah, and I know some very it's... sensible people who absolutely backed what the board said they were trying to do about selling and buying and developing youth, who absolutely called for us to sign Charlie Austin, Stephanie Hansen on permanent contracts. And yeah, the club needs to, needs to have conviction one way or the other. And but just quickly this then, it's been this way. like you want to, you want to go back to like, when we come down and put Chris Ramsey in charge, which we probably shouldn't have done, right? But it's like, yeah, we're putting Chris Ramsey in charge and we're going to focus on developing young players and bringing players in. But then Austin stayed. So our fans were like, oh, we can make the playoffs. Austin stayed and Matt Phillips has stayed. And the club are kind of like, oh, oh that wasn't really the plan. And mm, But okay, yeah, okay, fine. Oh, we're in 12th place. We're going to sack Chris Ramsey and we're going to bring in Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. Oh, we finished 12th, did we? Oh, we're going to go again next season. Oh, we're, we're 12th again. Are we We're going to sack? It's just like, how about not listening to like, you know, random like middle-aged men on Twitter that have no experience in football and then telling you what to do? Like maybe stick to the plan. I don't know. Dan, seen as, uh, as Ben pointed out there, um, the club are clearly listening to QPR podcasts and sort of their suggestions. So I'm going to answer you a twofold question. One, what suggestion do you have for Lee Hughes to, you know, if he could improve something? And two, um, what sort of worries you from the sort of headlines of the accounts that I just described? Um, I don't really have, have a point. Um, 
terms of what was worrying, yeah, it's probably the the stuff the others have covered in terms of transfer fees getting Austin and that in. Um, did we make sorry another question? Did we make profit on device or not? I can't imagine we would have, but I don't know for that sure. That probably won't come out till next year's accounts, will it? Because that would have been. Um... No, I, don't, I don't know. I was just wondering. Yeah, the last, the last window. Yeah. Yeah, but no. um, yeah, it don't, it doesn't look great from the accounts. And like Mike said, no, it might, uh, actually, no, that might actually be included in this one because he didn't get sold for like two hundred and fifty k or something. Was I thought it was seven hundred fifty k. So I could be wrong. All oh, right, maybe not then. But we haven't. But... I guess the point is there that you know we've shelled out a relatively high amount in player in purchasing players, but you know there's that point we have not sold players to sort of justify, in a sense, bringing anyone else in. Like you know, you cannot 250k of player sales from last season. That that is not good enough. I think I think it's going to be interesting because I think DM had interest from. I want to say Brentford, Brighton, Spurs in January about making a move in the summer, whether his forms kind of dip that much that they kind of don't want to pursue that move. Because um, right now, him and probably Chair are like the only sellable assets we're going to get decent yeah. money for. Um, the chair was, there was interest in Chair, wasn't there? But they sort of knocked guess, it back. Knocked it back because because we know what they were trying what they were kind of hoping for at this start of the season. Like the, the, the gamble was last season and you know what? Fine. Okay. We, we, as fans, we're fickle, aren't we? And Ben's already touched on it. We all probably wanted like, you know, Johansson to sign and Austin to sign because at the, you know, based on the evidence in front of us, it seemed like a good idea, you know, if they could get it on the right sort of negotiations, which, you know, with, with Austin, I don't know how much he was getting paid, but at least they had the opportunity after that one year to sort of, say, no, the power's in our hands. We're not going to give you, like, that That second year is not going to be triggered or whatever. Um, I don't quite know what happened with Johansson. It seems potentially to be a different deal. But, uh, you know, they made the gamble last year and it didn't pay off. They should have, it should have been sort of like back to square one. Well, I was again. about that, to say back to square one. That, that, well, that's where my issue is really because I don't mind the gamble so yeah. much last year again again like we all said i wanted us to sign all of those players i don't mind the gamble what it was what the real gamble was was this year realizing that contracts are running down realizing that because the, the board would have known how much money's gone out of the club like we've just found out they would have known months ago that was the real gamble not selling anybody this summer really and i think that's come back to bite us more so than the summer before well yeah. that's that's exactly that's where we're back to square one really because i I don't think Willock's a sellable asset at this point in time. I don't see who would take him, and I don't frankly see why they want to, given that he just doesn't seem to have recovered from that injury. Absolutely, there's still the very same player in there that there was if he can recover. No one's going to gamble on that for a fee. Um, Chair, maybe. Dieng, I think, quietly, is one of our bigger assets. I don't know the exact contract situation, but he's not let us down in a significant way. You could absolutely see a Prem club taking a punt, definitely for a second choice. I mean, you look at the Spurs, we've got Fraser Forster and Hugo Lloris. If they want a second choice keeper um, on a, a modest fee, 
Look, I don't want to big up Sonny too much, but I've you know first choice keeper Fraser Forster, yeah. and I've watched yeah. Hugo yeah. Lloris this season. He can yeah. easily right. first start choice keeper. Sorry, tomorrow. sorry, sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Uh, but my point is, and and, and Lyndon yeah. Dykes having interest in Millwall, I'd love if Lyndon Dykes could get like five goals between now and the end of the season, just to sort of be a bit of a like, hey, you know, I'm still here, um, because I think we need to sell him or someone yeah. like him. I I like him as a player. We're going to be making sales for two or three million, I think. Um, Downfield might. And obviously, I don't want to see any of these players go, but but we're looking at selling them for nowhere near the fees that we got for Eze because we don't have a player of Eze's quality um, in, in quite the same contract situation from what I can remember, although I'll be corrected on that, maybe. Um, but we've got to start the cycle again. We've got to sell for three chair, or four million, reinvest. That's... Chair is the strongest one. He's also the one that I want least to leave, um, but I would only justify keeping him if we shifted say Dieng, Field and Dykes for money and it's I think Field has twelve months though. In yeah. summer. So I think as well, there's if bound you're looking to be at... a year option on there surely. I don't know. When the when the interest came with the Prem clubs in January, they said he's got eighteen months left. But they didn't say about the extension or anything. Mm. Mm. It's so just the thing I, is I chair, you know, right? I think you, you you've got to sell him this summer and you yeah. put all your effort into getting Willock fit because then you can yeah. You know, Willick doesn't have to play between now and the end of the season. If he's fit for next season, that satisfies yeah. me. And, and, because and whatever think... happens, he will be then the talisman for next season. You can build from there. And then you're, you know, I mean, we've talked about him off air, but ideally, Taylor Richards is meant to be coming through and well, sort of yeah. highlighting that he's going to be taken over from these two. But, but I think I've, I've I've made my own point a little bit in terms of chair. Like, I'm, I'm well, in terms of... That's how the club shouldn't listen to the fans. I'm jumping through all sorts of hoops to justify not selling him already, but we probably mm. have got to. Like I, mm. you know, I, I'm, I'm desperate for him to stay at QPR. I think, I think he is. I think he is going. I don't know if you guys saw it, but a few weeks ago we posted on his Instagram that he's uh, under a new agency. I'd got a new right. set of agents. They players don't normally get new agents yeah. to agree new deals. That's an aggressive no, and, move, and, isn't and, it? That's like go find me someone in the summer. And you could yeah, not even vaguely begrudge him for it. Too. And it would be, he couldn't begrudge him for it. It would be good for us, good for him, get the money. And, and I know, still don't want it, quote unquote, to happen. Yeah. Which is why the board need to be the ones but, with more conviction than the rest of us. Basically, what you're calling for is some grown ups in the room. But yes, we don't have that. And I think. Can I say know, one thing, though? Just, yeah. just, just, again, I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit. I have some level of sympathy for them, just in the sense that COVID kind of just destroyed that kind of 1 million yeah. to 4 million pound kind of market between yes. championship clubs. Although, although how much did it destroy mean... it? How much did it destroy? Because we got around 3 million bid for Dykes, didn't we? This last winter. Yeah, Maybe it's true. grown back now, but for the last couple of years, it hasn't been there, basically. And if you look at it, like at the end of last season, there's probably a few players like, you know, someone like Luke Amos might have got like a 2 million pound move to like a parachute team as a backup player. Just off the back end of last season. Not yeah, now. I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you know what I mean? Like, so I have some sympathy in that regard that like their model kind of just died in front of them. But that's um, when you've got to be disciplined though, isn't it? And we haven't been that this season. Like I said, we don't mind the gamble necessarily last year, but it's a gamble, isn't it? If it goes wrong, it looks horrible like this. If it goes right, then right now we're in like we've been in the playoffs or something like that. So prize money's better or whatever. I mm. It probably wouldn't have covered it, but you know, it would have meant, I don't know, you've got a better situation. Mm. Warburton doesn't get sacked and we don't end up in this situation, you know, or, you know, best case scenario, we're in the Premier League. And even if you do get relegated, you've got the parachute payments. So you're 
automatically for the next three years better off than majority of the league. So like it doesn't, you know, the next three years sort of doesn't really matter. It it doesn't happen. It's a big if. It was a big if, you know. Yeah, I hate I hate to come back to it as well, but I think we we go on about this all the time. But really, the buck does lie with the owners because the truth of the matter is, we are we sat here having this discussion if. Right, I'll say Samuel and Ryan Manning had been adequately tied down had we not been faffing about with Steve McLaren as manager. You know, I'm not sure what kind of money we could have got for Bright, but there was rumours at one point of like a, a five million pound bid with a year left on his contract. Yeah. So I mean, he's linked with twelve million pound moves now. Back to Prem. This is the thing about like you know saying Ferdinand should do better, and he yeah he probably should, but then. Uh, I think it was Dave McIntyre said the first true Les Ferdinand appointment was Mark Warburton. And he had been there for two managers in Holloway and um, McLaren. If you three, three well, Chris Ramsey as well. Well, well, JFH, yeah. If, if Les Ferdinand is sitting there in these meetings sort of saying X, Y, and Z, we should be going for this player, that player, whatever, this manager, that player. And then person with the checkbook goes actually it's going to be steve mclaren <laughs> kind of like at a certain point what more is he meant to do when he, the, his boss is just going against him because he's the director of football but he's clearly not got the final say he doesn't write the checks no, no. It, and, it kind of just goes back to how i feel about about both les and lee is that they're sort of just like decent ish like I, I don't really know how else to say it. We've we've made good signings that have been Les's idea, bad signings that have been his, his idea. We've made excellent and terrible signings that were managers' ideas. It is the most unenviable club to try and come and do something at, and yet you can point to completely identifiable problems at the hands of Les and Lee. I think it's it's just not like there's. Do you know what I mean? You can't point. If an you could find a director of football strong enough to sort of, rest- I know he's not actually the majority shareholder anymore, which was another sort. of... I don't know if that changed in the last accounts, but that's definitely been reflected in this one. But if you can get a director of football that can come in and get Tony Fernandez just to behave and just play ball, then he is worth a lot more than QPR. <laughs> he shouldn't be director of football at QPR. He should be probably right up the top because that would take uh, a genius move. But basically, to sum it up, we we don't like what we saw in the accounts. Um, we don't really understand it, but we don't like it. And we are we are worried. And as Dan says, uh, next year will be something else entirely. Especially uh, as it was a point made when we had uh, Steve QPR analytics on. You know, n- next summer the the player tra- turnover is going to be obscene. And if you think the squad's thin on the ground now, then I can't wait to see what it's like come I don't know the first game of the season next year. Uh, let's move on from um, rather. disappointing accounts and such uh there is a game this saturday to talk about um so dan this game against rotherham is this the most important game of the season until the game the week after uh very yeah possibly um uh, thing i said a while back i think the next three away games and Birmingham at home probably quite crucial for us because they're all below us or uh, I think they, yeah, they all are below us. So I think we're going to have to get some points from there. Um, but yeah, Rotherham, Rotherham aren't exactly an easy, uh, 
easy team at the minute. I think they've just had an upturning form. Um, and obviously they're well known for kind of doing the basics, right? You know, second balls, first contacts, the stuff that we just cannot do at the minute. Um, or ha- just just don't seem to do it, at least when we when we collapse. So um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see on that part because I think Ainsworth will definitely have drilled it into them this week about that. Yeah, so the fixtures in March, as Dan just touched on, uh, obviously Rotherham away this Saturday, and then you've got Watford at home the Saturday after, and then a midweek game away at Blackpool, and then a home game on the 18th against Birmingham before an international break. So, Dan, like you look at that, and for me, I- I'm kind of thinking... I don't know. Not not that I'm expecting, but I'm hoping for six points from these games. From from what? Yeah, from all of them. From all of them. Yeah, I don't yeah. think yeah, we'll beat Watford, and I don't. Uh, I think you know your best chances of picking up those six points are Rotherham and Blackpool, and then you've kind of got a bit of a free hit, I guess, against Birmingham, who did a number on us earlier in the season. And at the moment, I'd kind of expect them, regardless of their own form, with Eustace, he knows these players quite well. I'd expect him to do a number on us again, to be honest. Yeah, I think Wigan, after that, I think we've got Wigan away as well, coming up further down. So that'll be quite important as well. Because I looked at our run and it's it, on paper. I know it's different um, without looking at it now, but it looks tough. I think we've got Norwich, Stoke, Coventry, um, all, all sorts of teams up there. So, yeah, it does feel like if we're going to get some points, it has to kind of be around this period. But, you know, it's typical QPR. We probably won't pick up money here and then go and get some from the, the tougher, so-called tougher games. Well, that's the thing. You've got to get points from somewhere because after March finishes, when we go into that international break, we've only got eight games left of the season. And if we lose or fail to pick up a significant amount of points in March, then you're going into April, like you said, in the against those really tough teams. Um, and really looking quite, you know, it's looking re- it would be looking very difficult to do anything because you've got, you know, this run of games uh, will put the fear in you. Uh, West Brom away, Coventry at home, Norwich at home, Burnley away. You know, oh, brilliant! Thank you very much, fixture computer. That was uh, that's a love. That's all country. over. That's all over Easter as well. Yeah, so that's like right. That's the close. That's like sort of Christmas rerun, isn't it? Where you've only got like a couple of days in between, like. You know, you can pretty much write off that Burnley game now. They'll be, you know, they'll be up in a couple of games, but they'll still probably... They might be hungover, to be fair. Yeah. Celebrating promotion. Yeah, potentially. They they, they might, you know, either that or they're going to be beating Man City very soon and they'll feel better than ever. Yeah. (laughs) Um, What can we expect from Rotherham then, Dan? Dan, you touched a little bit there, just sort of, um, you know, they do the basics well. What else? Who's the threat? Connor Washington? Um, Jordan Hugo. How many goals? Oh, really? Oh, this oh, is yeah. right. You know what, Ben? That that is this is a team right up your street, isn't it? Jordan Hugo, Connor Washington. I think. Why's Connor, they... Connor Washington right up my street? Where's that come from? <laughs> it just seems like the sort of player that you'd have a lot of time for. Well, you can you can think again. That's that Jack Clark. <laughs> yeah. No, I uh, Jack Clark. I just he just sort of occupies a lot of space in my brain. Um, what about Grant Hall? Uh, he... I don't mind Grant Hall. He's, he's, he's injured. Is he? What a surprise! Uh, what uh, <laughs> you know? Shock. Well, you know, if 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 Hall hadn't been injured, that would be. I mean, there's been teams where they. It's like, is this team perfectly engineered to haunt us? Um, Jack Clark scoring a brace is up there, but 
and I, I, it doesn't seem to me like they play two up front, but the idea of Hugo and Washington starting up front together is as scary as when Naki Wells start, uh, came on for Bristol City the game after we lost him and they signed him. Um, but uh, I don't actually know anything about Rotherham other than that. Um, so Dan's probably slightly better placed than me on that one. Yeah, I mean, just touching on that, um, I, I really like their business in January. I think, they, I think I was reading, Clive might have said it months ago, they took a bit of a gamble. Um, so obviously they're known for kind of yo-yoing between the Championship and League One. They brought in the likes of Hugo, Tarek Fosu, um, a guy from Leeds on loan, Connor Coventry, um, Bailey Wright. Um, who else? Oh, and Keith, um, what's his name? Keener, the one from Watford. Okay. I think he was on loan from Barnsley last year. Um, oh, he played well for Barnsley. If that's what I'm thinking of. As yeah. Well, in that away game. And I just think they've they've added just a lot more athleticism in their side, more quality. Um, you know, if you've got Fosu and uh, Ogbené both on the flanks, it's not exactly um, yeah, it's not exactly something that you want to look forward to, particularly the way we defend at the minute. So then, Ben, placing it a bit more in your expertise, then, uh, what sort of team are you expecting from Gareth Ainsworth? Are you expecting the same eleven again, or? Do you think there's the slim possibility of some changes? I mean, you're probably going to have to make one change for chair, aren't you? But you know, apart from that, yeah, stuff across the board. I mean, they they they've talked about chair being like assessed, right? And that is, you know, but I, I'm not expecting him to start. Yeah, it's difficult to know who you would bring in. To be perfectly honest, don't say um, Dizelle. No, well, I I don't know where Dizelle would come in unless you do some sort of change of shape that that pushes Eric Boonham further forward and you put Dizelle in actual midfield. But I from what I can tell about Ainsworth, a change of shape doesn't seem all that likely. Um, as a point that I was going to make um, make earlier, I sort of I, I can't figure out what I think of our options up front. One thing that I would praise about the uh, the uh, the Blackburn game is that I thought Chris Martin looked quite well briefed on what he was meant to be doing. Um, you know the sort of spaces that he was occupying, the kind of back to goal thing, the layoffs. Jamal Lowe for me, and I know that he's played for QPR under under two different managers um, and whatever else but he's he's never looked spectacularly like he fits into a system he's clearly a good player very good player technically very good he he, he sort of seems to kind of just pop up in these little positions not i, I don't know it doesn't seem like a, a a cog in the machine so i'm not thrilled about it but i think we're probably looking at, at the same 11 aren't we um until until options come back in um, yeah, I, mean, I don't know what's was... going on with um armstrong he, he was sat yeah. up um in the posh seats uh presumably injured the other week but I, I don't actually know what that was what that was about I think the, the one that I'd be interested to see is if you could try and play you know we, we talk we talk about a lack of wingers at the club and I know that Lowe hasn't I don't know whether he's really played as a winger for the last couple of seasons but if you could try it just try him actually as an out and out winger and have either Armstrong or uh and then on the other side like I know he's meant to be coming back to fitness as well but I know you can't really rely yeah. on him too much, but Roberts, you know. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if they're all back. Then. I no, yeah, this is enough. I don't think Roberts will like... be. Armstrong's a bit of a question mark. I, I, I think I stopped slightly short of suggesting Adoma should start nowadays. Yeah, I, I like think, him I a think lot. that. I like him I'm a lot, sorry. but I, w I wouldn't really. I don't know. Yeah, would you? Who do you start him? I'd say, I'd say low on the left, Adoma on the right. That's okay. what I think. He'll, that's what I think he'll do as well. Um, I don't know. You, if you bring Dazelle in, you play a diamond for me. I mean, not to go back on the yeah. game, but when Gareth Ainsworth post match said, when you play up to Martin, you, you want to get runners. 
I mean, you got a domer on the bench and he's bringing on Dezel, a left wing back. He didn't have a clue what yeah. he was doing in the first moment of the game. So uh, you either change shape with Dezel or you, you stick a domer off of it. I think as well, you, like I said, like the four of the options off the bench are all central midfielders. And if you're going to bring on a central midfielder, right, if we're going to make a change there, which realistically we probably shouldn't do because probably our best three central midfielders are already playing, but can it be Dixon Bonner just so we can see what he's like? I just want to know who he is. Like, yeah, up front, he had a bit of target practice during the week. I just <laughs> think, why not chuck him in? I, I, I know oh, that there's got to be so much going on behind the scenes. That I'm know, not suggesting anything to do really with attitude annoying. or anything else, but there's got to be something. Whether it's just that he's not showing much in training or, or or what. I mean, I'm all for like you say, giving these players a run out. I'm also not one of the people always clamouring to. You know, I remember when when Faisal Batach was the next best thing, and I remember when Nico Hamelainen was the next best thing before that. It doesn't always work out. I can only imagine there's something. You know, when a player like like Shadipo, who I've I've not loved for quite a while gets a little go under three consecutive managers and Dixon Bonner three, just doesn't it? at all. Well, yeah, I mean, my, my point being, since it's become clear that he's not yeah. going to play a massive role, he's he's gotten a go under three consecutive managers. And and Dixon Bonner, when did he come in? I mean, he's he's, he's had two managers have a chance to have a look at him, really. He's a three, uh, technically, three because he was actually a bill yeah. signing. Well, that's exactly that's what I mean. There's got to be something going on there. But I, I, I've said about and you can um, sort of Armstrong copy and paste that answer for Richards as well, can't you? Well, ex- Which exactly. Is infuriating. Well, really but is. the statement the statement that Richards had to put out, you wonder if there's a bit more going on there. And I suppose we're not placed to comment. But uh, yeah, I, I I understand the point. I'm I'm a bit hesitant about Adoma just from from what we've seen or, or not particularly seen from him recently. But there's worse things that we could do. Um, I, I, if 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 we're gonna if we're gonna develop Armstrong in the side, I'd much rather we try and turn him into a winger than a forward. I think that I think that is quite an exciting prospect to me, um, and I would look forward to a bit of that. But I don't know whether he's fit for the he, game. He used to be a winger, apparently. Um, yeah. But the only other player I'd say, not that I'd start him, but I think Amos. I mean, it's a big if if he stays fit. But yeah. I think he's the sort of player that would suit this kind of side because. You look at Tim, you look at the goal we scored, more crosses into the box, more runners. I think the best person in the squad for time of runs into the box is him. Um, yeah. And if we're playing off Martin, throwing balls into the box, it's going to be a lot of second balls. And I think he scored a lot of goals last season from, from those kind of areas. So if we were to kind of go into a diamond and play, say, Field, Johansson, um, Irabunum, and then Amos is the 10 type, I yeah, wouldn't be like against that, that. Uh, because no. I think I think he could, he could add some qualities. I like Amos a lot, and and I mean even since like halfway through his loan um, spell with QPR when he started to slightly come into his own, I've I've always kind of really rated him, and uh, you know he was a bit of a pressing ten before that injury uh, in Warburton's second season, really good towards the end of last season. I've never ever ever had a problem with him really. Uh, they, you can see the weaknesses, but I've never had a big problem with him except for the the injury record, and I don't know whether whether he's in a position to 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 come in and and, and play a significant number of minutes, but I'd like him to. Right, I think that will be it for this week's podcast. So uh, thank you very much to Micah, to Ben, to Dan for coming on and discussing. uh, I mean, you know, I always say this, but it's a good podcast when QPR aren't doing very well because there's so much to talk about and it's it's the same this week. So, you know, um, if you enjoyed all this, we do these weekly. So you can subscribe to us on any sort of podcast uh, app that you use to get these things. If you do already listen to us, we'd appreciate a review on your app or on um, 
chartable.com. Uh, five stars only, please. And yeah, you can listen, to, you can uh, follow us all on Twitter. You can follow our generation on Twitter as well to know when we're posting these and any other sort of additional tidbits. Um, yeah, that's everything. Thank you very much for listening. And until next time, coming yours. <laughs>